Our sermon passage this morning is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great, high, great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not, de- not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, it is in the name of Jesus that we come. And our Father, this is our prayer this morning. We believe that you will hear our prayers, you will receive our worship, you will pour out mercy and grace upon us, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus is Lord. Not because we deserve it, but because we're covered in the blood of Christ. This is our hope today, and and as the Scripture invites us, we come with confidence. So Lord, I pray that by Your Spirit, You would meet with Your people. I pray that You would minister to Your people. I pray that You would give comfort and hope and peace to Your people. Lord, I pray that by Your Spirit, if anyone in this room is is far from You, is separated from You, um, is against You, that You would tear down all dividing walls and draw men and women and boys and girls to Yourself. Now, Lord, I pray that You would allow me to be a vessel to that end. And I pray that You would cause the brothers and sisters men and women, boys and girls in this room, to hear Your Word with eyes of faith and to receive Your Word, to believe Your Word, to be shaped by it. Lord, would You do all of this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. Uh, If you're our guest today, thank you so much for being here. Our mode of preaching is to work through books of the Bible. And so for the last several months, we've been working through uh, the book of Hebrews. And what's going on in our passage today is kind of the what it's all been aiming for. It begins with the word, therefore. And, and, and chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, the beginning of chapter 10, has all been leading into these words. And here, here's the point. The point has been this. Jesus is better. Whatever you're tempted to trust in, Jesus is better. Whatever you're tempted to cling to, Jesus is better. Wherever you look for hope, Jesus is the better place to look for hope. The message has been Jesus is better. Stop seeking replacements for Jesus. And after many chapters of making this point over and over and over again, 
quite frankly, in some amazing, overwhelming, beautiful ways, we come to this passage where the author says, so, if this is true, fix your mind and your heart to live in these particular ways. Now, that's, the, that's what's going on in, in verses 19 through 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. But if you're our guest today, or if you were out of town last weekend um, because of the holiday, we're jumping right back into the middle. Because I was supposed to preach all of these verses last week, and I only did like half of them. So welcome to Redeemer, that happens a lot. We always bite off more than we can chew, but we slow down and keep chewing. So today, what we're really going to do is we're going to kind of hit the highlights of, of, of the argument of this passage, and then we're going to get to the parts that, that we didn't get to last week. So last week's sermon, entitled Let Us, dated September 1st, it would be a great place to listen um, to catch up a little bit from what's going on. But here's the point. The lives of Christ followers, of Christians, are always rooted in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Our lives are always built upon the foundation of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. And I believe the author's intent in these verses is to say this, never leave your foundation, always build upon it. You need no other foundation. Go to Jesus, go to Jesus, go to Jesus. And then he's going to tell his hearers, us, three particular ways that we build on the foundation of who Christ is and what he's done for us. We see those very clearly by repetition of word. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. Let's draw near to God. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So let us cling to Jesus. In verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So there's three um, Three postures of mind and heart that we're called to if we want to build our lives upon the foundation that is Jesus. And so my goal today is just to call us to those three things as well. So if you're a note taker, the first point, remembering Jesus again. And there's an intentional play on words there. Partially remember Jesus again because the first point of last week's sermon was remembering Jesus. So I'm going to make you do it again. But secondly, it's apropos because the point is our Christianity, our faith, our lives, our church's life always begins with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. He is the foundation. And without Him, we have nothing. So all works, all effort, all attempts to please God, all attempts to do what's right, all attempts to walk in God's ways apart from faith, apart from the foundation of Jesus, are nothing. So much so that the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 and verse 6 will say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what's being said is we can only please God, we can only glorify God, we can only truly bear fruit 
if we are doing all things on the foundation of who Christ is and what he's done for us, which means we must remind and root ourselves in the gospel of Jesus over and over and over again. So that's why he begins in verse 19, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, what he's saying is, Jesus is our high priest. We have access to God through Jesus. And Jesus stands in the presence of God, always ministering to us and crying out for God's blessing and mercy toward us. And it's always rooted in the blood of Jesus. So God's favor, God's mercy, God's grace, God's blessing toward us always flows through the blood of Jesus. So, if you're here today kind of like checking out the whole church scene or checking out this particular church or wondering what it might mean to become a Christian or to become a follower of Jesus, get this. You probably already got it, but we're just as messed up and broken as you are. We struggle just as much as you do. But what the Bible teaches and what we would invite you to is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, lived, died, rose again, and offered His life as a sacrifice for sin to cover all the sin, shame, guilt, fear, brokenness within us and make us acceptable into the presence of God. So we come into God's presence with confidence and with hope because of Jesus. And you can too if you come in Christ. But the Scripture makes a pretty pointed case that it's not good, wise, or right to come into the presence of God based on your own goodness, your own mercy, or your own holiness. That doesn't work out well. But in Christ, we're accepted. In Christ, we have hope. In Christ, we're called the children of God. Now, I'm really tempted to re-preach last week's sermon, but I'm going to pause there. But hear this. Every, every impulse of our faith flows through what Christ has done for us. And every command in the Bible flows through what Christ has done for us. And that's so important because He's about to give you three commands. But the motive of those three commands is not so that God will love you more. He already loves you eternally in Christ. It's not so that God will be happier with you. He doesn't hate you because of Christ. It's not to fill up what's lacking. There's nothing lacking. Jesus died for you. The commands then are there to enable us to find hope, love, joy, peace, and bear much fruit in this life for the glory of Jesus. But they matter. The commands matter. So we're about to look at these three commands and there's this thing in modern American church where you get one of two missteps. Misstep one, the purpose of the commands is to get us into a better relationship with God. We can't do that. Jesus did it. And if we're ever thinking that way, we're in trouble. But misstep two, well, if Christ has already done everything for us, then it doesn't matter how we live. 
The answer is we live in the ways that Christ commands us to glorify Christ and to find greater joy in Christ in this world. Those two things come down the same path and the same pathway. So then the second point, if you're a note taker, following Jesus. If I want to follow Jesus in this world, if I want to build upon the foundation that is the hope of Christ in me, how do I do that? Well, we could make a whole long list of those things. We could. The New Testament is filled with those, but the author of Hebrews is going to focus on three particular things, and I want to just focus on those three. Actually, I focused on one last week, so I'm only going to focus on two today. And based on the first service, we'll actually get done today as well. So, But he gives three things. If I want to build my life, if I want to follow Jesus, if I want to be a disciple, if I want to bear fruit, what do I do? Continually remember Jesus and then let your life be set around these three things. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So we'll take those in turn, but basically what he's saying is, let us approach God freely and regularly. Let us cling to Jesus always. And let us lead others to follow and cling to Jesus always. Let us approach God regularly. Let us cling to Jesus always. And let us lead others to cling to Jesus with us. So those are the three activities. Now this is really, really important. These, these let us statements, these, these action statements, they're not one-time action statements. As if I were to say, let us finish this service and go eat Mexican food. And then about one o'clock, we would all get up, we would pay our bill, we would say, that's done, the kids are misbehaving, we all smell a little bit too much like onions, let's go home and take a nap. Glad that's over. It's not those kind of one-time activities. He, what he's saying is, let the posture of your life be bent toward these three things regularly and routinely. As if he were saying, keep a well-stocked pantry to feed teenage boys over and over and over again. Man, I re- I'm over 2 on that one. I really thought that would get more... Anybody here ever fed teenage boys? It's a challenge. Sometimes I wish, like my dad was a rural pastor when I grew up, which meant we were really poor. But in harvest season, like we would come out after church and there'd be like 30 bushels of corn on the back of the, the, you know, the trunk of the car and tomatoes and whatever else was in season, you know, like you got you to tie that to the pastor too. You know, like somebody grow a garden is what I'm saying, okay? I have three teenage boys. Okay, so three things. Number one, all regularly approaching God. He said, let us draw near to God. The essence of this point, again, in last week's sermon, so go listen to it there, is Jesus died to purchase us welcome access to the Father where He will hear us and answer us and minister to us and care for us. So let us be found approaching God in Christ. I want to preach more. But for the sake of time, we'll move on. 
Number two, let us be found clinging to Jesus always. He says it this way, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And hold fast means cling to. What are we clinging to? The confession of our hope. What's the confession of our hope? That Jesus Christ is our Lord. He's our Redeemer. He's died for us. And He has purchased our presence into the family of God. Let us cling to that always. So what he's saying is, Christian, if you want to build upon the foundation that is Christ, let your heart posture be always clinging to Jesus. See if I can demonstrate this for you with, with a couple stories. Number one, um, you know, every like one, two, three, four-year-old, like they have, their, they have their comfort thing, right? Like it's a blanket or it's a teddy bear or it's a particular animal. Um, but, but, but all kids kind of in that age window, like they have their thing, right? And they can't settle till they get it. They can't sleep till they get it. And I saw a couple of them come in the door this morning on some kids that really didn't want to get out of bed and they had their thing like over their head, you know, like. But, but you guys know, you know the kid picture, right? And most five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten year olds, they still have it. They just are too cool for it, so they try to hide it, right? Um, but we learn something from that, don't we? Like in the mind of a two year old, I can't be settled till I have the, the comfort of my thing close to me, right? Blanket, bear, pacifier, animal, whatever it is. And I'm not trying to mock that. I'm trying to say learn from that. If Jesus is truly the Lord of all who has truly died for our sins, covered our guilt, fear, shame, and given us presence and acceptance and love and mercy in the family of God for now and for always, then we always cling to Him. We shouldn't have any comfort without Christ. We shouldn't have any peace without Christ. We shouldn't be able to face the day without Christ. We shouldn't be able to find hope for our brokenness without Christ. It should not be possible. And so what he's saying, Christian, is hold fast, cling to your confession. Let what you say about yourself be true of yourself. Be found depending on Jesus here and there, always and forever. Be found clinging to Christ. So perhaps the kid thing doesn't work for you, so I have another one, because I'm really trying to draw everybody in today, okay? Um, this, this summer, my family and I got to go up to um, Washington State and to Alaska, and we went on a whale-watching boat cruise thing. And... Um, one of the things I learned is it's pretty cool to see whales, but it has nothing to do with this. But second, when they run out of like that one whale they could find to show you, um, you might start to think, like, I paid how much money to see one whale? So they distract you by showing you sea lions. They're like the squirrels of the Northwest. They're just everywhere. <laughs> and so, um, so like, ooh, look, sea lions! And all the kids are like, yeah, and you're like, no, 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 I paid for that. But anyway... You know why they can always find sea lions? Because they 
always fight for and gather around the buoys. The buoys out in the middle of the water give them a place to climb up and get sun. And so all you got to do to find a sea lion in the northwest is go to a buoy, and there'll be as many as can fit geometrically up on the buoy. And you're like, oh, that's cool. There's like three or four sea lions. But then as you get closer to the buoy, there's hundreds of them swimming around the buoy just waiting for their turn to fight to get up there. Right? Like, like the, bu- the, the buoy is like the central attraction for sea lions everywhere. They want to be on the buoy. The buoy is where they get heat and comfort and warm their bodies. I'm not trying to say that, the, that Christians should have the place. You know, like Jesus isn't in a place. But what I'm saying is, shouldn't we be known for always running to Jesus like the sea lions are always swimming to the buoys? Like just that, shouldn't that just be what we're known for? Like they cling to Christ. They sure seem to believe in Christ. If he didn't really die and he didn't really rise again, then they have nothing because all they're clinging to is Jesus. Now here's the crazy promise of this. Keep reading. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. wavering, For He who promised is faithful. Do you hear that? If you're one to write in your Bible, that's a great place to write. For He who promised is faithful. So you're convicted about your sin. You run to Jesus. He's faithful to receive you and love you, and nurture you, and minister to you. You're filled with guilt, and shame, and fear, and you run to Jesus. He promises to be faithful, and keep His promises to you. You don't know how to face the day, but you run to Jesus. He promises that He will never leave you, and He'll never forsake you. Jesus always is faithful. Which means fuel for our faith is everything that God has promised He would do through His Son or everything that Jesus has ever said He would do. Didn't Jesus say, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest for your souls? Didn't He say that? He's faithful. He will give you rest for your souls. Didn't He say, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me? He's faithful, so if you come through Him, the Father will accept you. Be found clinging to Jesus because God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is always faithful to His Word and to His So whatever you brought with you today, guilt, shame, fear, doubt, emotional doubt, intellectual doubt, both, the struggles of life, a storm, brokenness, financial strain, emotional strain, marital strain, parenting strain, School strain, work strain, church strain, relational strain, neighborhood strain, whatever it is, be found running to Jesus and hold fast the confession of our hope that He loves His children. And He is faithful.
I kind of just want to say amen and go sit down, but we got to move on. Third and finally, be found leading others to cling to Jesus with you. Be found leading others to cling to Jesus with you. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The command is let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. But what I want you to see is the one another. What this third imperative does for us is it forces us to look out just as much as we look up. And it forces us to see, yes, Christ did die to redeem me, but Christ died to redeem us. He died to redeem the people of God. And and in our American individualism, I'm I'm happy to be an American. I don't mind a good dose of individualism. I'm more introverted than you are, I promise. But I think we've allowed ourselves to think of our faith like we're in little individual cocoons And God just kind of comes along and ministers to us one by one. I think that's true. But we're all in the pot together. He's building a church. He's building a people. And we don't get, as those who've been freed to walk with Jesus, we don't get the freedom to isolate and just go do the me and Jesus thing. The Bible doesn't allow it. And so American evangelicals, that's us. Christians in the South, that's us. We have to be countercultural to our culture. Because our culture says, you get what you need with Jesus and you use the church to get your religious goods and your religious needs met and then you go back to your quiet safe place for you and Jesus to continue on. And that's not the vision of the New Testament. The vision of the New Testament is a people so committed to God that they're committed to one another. A people so committed to God that we're committed not just to me loving God, but me wanting you to love God. Not just to me being delivered from my mess and y'all praying for me, but me wanting you to be delivered from your mess and me praying for you. The vision of the New Testament is way more collectivistic than we Americans are comfortable with And it says if one of us hurts, we all hurt. It says if one of us struggle, we all struggle. It says if one of us is broken, we're all broken. And friends, I love our church, and I think we're a great group of people, but we got a long way to go here. we got a long way to go here. Okay, now that's me on my soapbox. Now let me show you that that's not really a soapbox, but it's what Hebrews 10 is saying. Okay? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Let's look at this in turn. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. What he's saying is there is an us element to our faith. 
If we're devoted to Jesus, we're devoted to the church of Jesus, and not just the church of Jesus as an idea, but the church of Jesus as people who belong to Christ. And if you've wondered why, he, why we here at Redeemer make church membership such a big deal, it's because this, this town's filled with churches. They love Jesus too. We just want to know who us is. Church membership is just simply defining us. Who's us? So there is a, an us element to this passage. And what does he want us to do? The end goal is that we exhibit love and good works. Now this is really important to get our minds around. The end goal is that we exhibit love and good works. I thought we were saved by grace through faith. We are. But the person who knows God by grace and through faith in Jesus will have their heart changed to find new loves and will live differently to exhibit new works. So much so that James said in James chapter 2, verse 20, do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? The idea is real, obedient, real robust faith in Jesus bears fruit. It bears fruit internally with new loves, new desires, love for God, love for others, and it bears fruit in how, what we say and how we live and what we do. I would say it this way. If your men's study is doing systematic theology, that's awesome. I want to come. But your systematic theology study should improve the way you love your wife. And if it doesn't, you haven't gone far enough because your heart's not being changed. I'm a big fan of like inductive Bible studies where we do word studies and we say, well, in the Greek, this word means this. And in the Greek, this word means that. And this is how you put that into the meta narrative of the scripture. But if your meta narrative is not changing the way that you repent of your sin and love others, it ain't working. And I just said ain't twice in less than three minutes. Friends, stay theologically accurate. Love the Bible. Love good books. Love using your brains. Stay intellectual. Stay focused. But if all that doesn't move to our hearts and our tongues and our living, then we're not doing it right. So do not settle for a 45-minute discussion of the atoning work of Jesus that doesn't move to repentance and acceptance and walking in the love of God because that's the love and good works that the atonement was intended to produce. Don't settle for a one-hour Bible study on the meaning of the word submit and serve in Ephesians chapter 5 without talking about what that looks like when you go home to your wife, your husband, your kids, or those that you have any authority over. Because if you don't, you've missed the point. Let's not miss the point because we're so sophisticated and smart and erudite, and reformed, and have all the right answers. Let all that do what it was intended to do, which is move us to bear fruit for the glory of God. Now, if we want to do that, Pastor, how do we do that? That's a great question. This passage actually gets us started. Number one, be intentional. He says, let us consider 
Do you know what consider means? It means to consider. Consider means to stop and plan. Stop and think. Stop and pursue. All right, anybody here besides me a really terrible gift giver? I need to see hands. Bad gift givers? Okay, only two of us? Really? Yeah, I see spouses like pushing their husband's hand up in the air right now. Okay, here's the thing. We bad gift givers, we hate two things. Holidays and all of you good gift givers. (laughs) It's just way too easy for you. And somehow in God's providence, I have Valentine's Day, my wife's birthday, and our anniversary within a nine-day span every year. Like, that's like, I don't believe in purgatory, but that's purgatory. <laughs> I love my wife, but that's three gifts. I got to start working on that at like Thanksgiving. If I don't consider how to give good gifts, they're just not coming And my wife can give you a long list of of bad years, okay? But if I'm not stopping, thinking, considering, oh yeah, those three holidays are coming. Oh, hey boys, go ask mommy what she wants for her birthday. Like sending recon in. If I'm not working hard, I can't give a good gift. I have to consider how to be a good gift giver. This passage says what, we, what, what we're being called to is to not just take advantage of the open door when the Spirit opens it. No, 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 no. We're being called to consider proactively how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. So step one, consider. Use your brain and your time. Want it so bad that you think about it. Step two, learn to say hard things. With love, but learn to say hard things. The word there for stir up means provoke. Be willing to say in love what needs to be said to push others toward love and good deeds. Now, Southerners, that means we have to learn to say it. You know, in the South, you never say anything honestly. Everything's indirect, you know, like, well, should I, should I tell him that his zipper's unzipped? No, he didn't ask me to. I'm just going to pretend I don't see it. Hey, man, is my zipper unzipped? Well, does he really want me to tell him that his zipper's unzipped? So, so I'll just give kind of an indirect answer and kind of shuffle from, from reality and, and talk about that, that football game last night. Um, no, man, like really, is my zipper... Like, like, like it takes that much often to get a southerner to tell you the truth. And all you guys that aren't from the South are like, yep, I know that. Made that mistake when I moved down here, right? Friends, don't be the prophetic guy that's always shooting people's stuff down. But we got to learn to be honest if we're going to provoke one another to love and good works. Number three, if we're going to learn to provoke one another to love and good works, we cannot neglect to meet together. He says, verse 24, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. God made us a people of space and time. God made us a people of space. We occupy physical bodies in physical space and we make up a room. 
and, and time. Like, like we live in, in, in time. And so to do this one another well, we have to share physical space and physical time and relational space and relational time. It's just what's required. So, okay, so what does it mean to meet together? Well, at its most basic level, that means to meet together. But I would say, let your church habit be shaped to look like the habit of the early church. The first picture of this we get is in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. So Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. Jesus appeared to many, and then Jesus ascended into heaven and left and sent the Holy Spirit and left his followers to figure out what it looked like to be the followers of Jesus while he's not on the earth. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of that picture. Listen to what we're told. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So this is no small gathering. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now verse 46. And day by day, which means regularly, routinely. You could say, and day by day, I attend school, if you're under 18. And day by day, attending the temple together, which would be all of them coming together, and breaking bread in their homes, which would be them gathering in smaller groups as would fit into a home. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's Acts 2, 41 through 47. But I think minimally we could say the habit of the early church was to gather all together in one gathering and then to gather in smaller gatherings where we could engage one another. Gather big, hear the word, worship, pray, gather small, engage one another. Minimally, that was the pattern of the book of Acts, and it seems to be the pattern that carried forward. So I would say to you, don't neglect meeting together, because neglecting to meet together is neglecting to take the one another's seriously. If this is mere performance, then we're wasting our time. If we're just here today to enjoy the music and listen to the guy talk for a little too long, we're just wasting our time. But if this is together, we, we together are going into the presence of God to engage with God, to worship God, to quiet our mouths and to hear His Word and have it spoken over us such that we would be changed by it and then perhaps you'll talk to someone about that or in a community group this week you would talk to someone about what God is saying and what God is doing that is meeting together in the biblical sense so maybe some of us need to change what we think is happening here so consider say it Meet together, and fourth, encouraging one another. Anybody here weary? You know, this life's hard, tired, 
Struggling? Hoping for a breakthrough? Yeah, that's all of us. Okay, thank you. I'll just raise your hands for you. Okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah. The purpose of this provoking one another to love and good deeds is not to heap law upon the shoulders of people who know God through grace. It's not to put up more work for us to do. It's encouraging us because God's good ways are a blessing to us. He says, encouraging one another. Gather and encourage. Think about it this way. What if your presence here today has nothing to do with you, but God brought you here to encourage someone else? Or what if your presence here today has nothing to do with anything that I'm saying right now or that we sang earlier, but that God intends someone to encourage you as you walk with Him? Friends, I believe that the God of the universe is accomplishing millions of things all at once. So was it His will that I would preach this sermon today? Sure. Was it His will that we would sing those four songs that we sang earlier? Sure. Is it His will that we take the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes? Sure. Is it His will that you might have that conversation with that person you've never met after this service? Sure. Is it His will that you would go to lunch with the person that you didn't mean to go to lunch with later because I randomly said something about Mexican food and all of a sudden you really want Mexican food and somebody might get saved there? Sure. God's able to do all of those things. This isn't about me. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the order of service. It's about God meeting with His people. God pouring His grace out on His people. And, 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 and we need to see ourselves as agents of encouraging one another as we trod a difficult life following after Jesus. Fifth, turn up the volume. And here's what I mean. He says... And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now in the Bible, the day, that doesn't mean Monday. That doesn't mean Tuesday. That doesn't mean Easter or Christmas. That doesn't mean your wedding day. That doesn't mean your favorite holiday. The day means when Jesus comes back and puts an end to this world and establishes the new heavens and the new earth. It's drawing near. I mean, just by definition, if we live till tomorrow, we're closer to the day than we were today. You don't have to get all weird and eschatological and get out whiteboards to make sense of this. We're closer to the day than we were when Jesus was here because 2,000 years have passed. But what the Bible says is we get closer and closer to the day, the intensity of this life is going to go up and up and up. Which means our need to encourage one another is going to go up and up and up. So turn up the volume. Don't get passive. Don't get lethargic. We need the encouragement to stir up one another to love and good deeds to go up as the day draws near. So you wake up tomorrow morning, you praise the Lord that you're alive. You praise the Lord that Jesus died for you. You praise the Lord that you stand in Christ. And you remember that we're one day closer to the day. And that means we need Christ all the more. So let's be the church that runs to Him together. I believe that if we would find ourselves approaching God, clinging to Jesus, and leading others as we follow Jesus, we'd, we'd find so much joy, so much hope, so much encouragement, so much peace, and bear so much fruit. That's what I want, and that's what I want us to experience. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. So here at Redeemer, we're going to conclude this, this sermon time by taking the Lord's Supper together. It's not something we just do to go through the motions. Jesus said, take this bread as often as you eat it and do it in remembrance of me. Take this cup as often as you drink it and do it in remembrance of me. And so we do it every week because it reminds us that we need Jesus every single day. 
So here at Redeemer Church, I'm going to invite anyone who's a Christian. That's anyone who's professed faith in Jesus for salvation and made that known to the church. We're going to invite you to take this bread and cup with us as a way to say, Christ is everything. I have hope in him. If you're with us and you're not a Christian, I would ask you to let the bread and the cup pass. Not so much because we want to make you feel excluded, but because we don't, it's not about the bread and it's not about the cup. It's about Jesus. We want you to know Christ. So I'd invite you while the bread and the cup is being passed, get that, that sheet of paper out that had the Apostles' Creed on it. Read it. Ask yourself this question. Can I believe this? Can I follow this, this Jesus? And if you want to know more about that, I'd love to talk to you about it later. So some men are going to come and pass out the bread and the cup. We're going to sing together. We're going to remember Christ, and I'll come back in a few minutes, and we'll take the bread and the cup as one.